0: Um, so, my name's Tasha, for those of you who don't know me, I'm the lead pastor here at Storehouse. And we're so excited that you're here with us today as we continue in the messy series. You know, we're in week three of the messy series, messy, loving others isn't easy. And I don't know about you, but I can relate to that uh, pretty well in that subtitle and the fact that relationships are just messy. And so we've come at this because we realize that when Jesus boils down the important things of the the Christian faith, when he really boils it down, he says, it's incredibly important that you know how to love your neighbor well. And it is so important that you know how to love me well with all your, your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And so if we're going to love others well, we better be pretty concerned with the quality of love. We better seek to improve it, seek to better our ability to be in relationship with one another. We also recognize that in scripture it says that the world will know that we are his disciples by the way that we love one another. And so if we want to be called disciples of Jesus, if we want to take our discipleship seriously, living in the kingdom, and the world's going to know that we, lo- that we are his disciples by the way we love, then the love can't look like what the world offers. The love can't be a model of what, how the world loves. And so we're looking at relationships, we're looking at how to love well, even when it gets messy through this, we've been in the book of Proverbs. We've been gleaning from what Proverbs has to say, the book of wisdom about how to love one another well. The first week, we talked about how the foundation needs to be seeking to understand. That foundationally, before anything else, that our posture in going through, navigating messy situations, it has to be to seek to understand and we looked at the proverb that says fools find no pleasure in understanding but delight in airing their own opinions fools find no pleasure in understanding but they delight in airing their own opinions so we recognize through that that we need to work to be on the same team that when we start to look at the other person as the enemy, when we don't recognize that we're on the same team, then we're not gonna to want to seek to understand where they're coming from. So that's the foundation. Then last week, Pastor Jameson came in and talked about what it means to listen incarnationally. And we looked at the proverb that says, even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. So the very base of this is fools, even fools are looked wise if they keep silent. So we need to first be quiet, to listen, but there's another level of listening for those of us um, who want to be seen or see ourselves as wise, and that is to listen incarnationally. And listening incarnationally is listening with empathy. It's listening with actually trying to understand where the other person is coming from. Again, recognizing that we're on the same team. And this week, we're gonna talk about another skill that I believe if we actually put into practice, it would transform our marriages, it would transform our relationships, our friendships, it would transform our churches, our workplaces, if we put this one skill into practice. It's the most important skill that you have never learned. I wish that it was part of onboarding for jobs, I wish it was a college course, but it's the most important skill that you have never learned and that is how to fight clean now we've been drawing from a, a series called emotionally healthy relationships we're doing that right now as a church and so this is the term in the book he actually uses a more grammatically correct term which is fight cleanly but i thought just for you know a punch you know a one-two punch you can think about not fighting dirty but we fight clean we fight clean so how do we do this i took an informal survey this week and I asked people in my life, those who I came in contact with, I said, how do you feel about conflict? And I will report to you that there was unanimous results. Not one person said they enjoyed conflict or they looked forward to conflict or they liked to move towards conflict. Actually, the responses varied from this. I avoid it to all costs, at all costs, to Tasha, this is giving me anxiety just by you asking me that question. And then, I kid you not, one said, I love them. I "I love them. What are they referring to? Oh, I thought you said cookies. They thought I said cookies. I love cookies. No, no, I don't love it. I actually, again, avoid it at all costs. I don't want anything to do with it. Now, I think this is pretty universal for all of us. I think it's pretty universal that we don't really look forward to conflict. We don't wanna move towards conflict. And I think it's because of a few different lies that we have believed. The first lie is this healthy relationships don't include conflict that if we are in a healthy relationship that it does not include conflict that conflict won't be a part of it i remember when adam and i did premarital counseling and we went to our pastor and his wife and we sat down In one of the sessions they asked us they kind of scooted forward on their couch and they said so do you guys argue and adam and i looked at each other yeah we argue quite a bit and they said oh I'm so glad and we were so confused because they had said so many people had come through their doors and had come through expecting that marriage and relationship healthy relationship healthy marriage would have no conflict and so they used this idea that they did not fight ever as a badge of honor it's like no we never fight we always see eye to eye you know, we're soulmates, and so we just get each other. We, we don't need to go through any conflict. I think often, you know, in this kind of society with the ha- happily ever after idea, you never see the dot, dot, dot of Cinderella, you know, having it out with Prince Charming or having, you know, walking through some disagreement. That's not part of our culture, right? So we just see the happily ever after, and we begin to think that if we are in a healthy relationship that we will never not see eye to eye, that we'll just get each other all the time. And that works for marriage, it works for friendship, it works for all different relationships that we have. Only relationships that are meant to be don't have conflict. We have this lie in our mind. But we need to recognize that not only do healthy relationships, healthy Relationships have conflict, but also God uses conflict in tremendous ways in our life. We know that conflicts can be stressful and painful. None of us really want to go through them. But there's something that happens in conflict that there's like a disorientation that allows God to shape us, to mold us in new ways if we allow him to. Walter Brueggemann, he's a theologian, and he talks about this three- stage pattern in conflict and so conflict and difficulty it all starts with orientation where we're we're at peace in our vertical relationship our horizontal relationship and so we're in a place of orientation and then we have conflict in either our vertical relationship or or horizontal relationship and there's a and there's a, a period of disorientation where the same things don't apply where we're not able to make sense of everything and so it's disorienting And if we choose to walk through that, allowing God to enter into that disorientation, then we can enter into new orientation. And that new orientation is in which God reveals another level of understanding. And in our relationships, both with him and with others, we can reach a greater uh, level of unity and love for one another. But that's only if we enter through that disorienting time and we don't run from it. So when we're, facing relation, when we're facing conflicts in our relationships, we have to ask this question, God, what are you trying to teach me about myself? If there's a conflict that you are walking through right now, no matter where, what uh, sphere of life it is in, we have to ask the question at some point, God, what are you trying to teach me about myself through this conflict? There is always something that he is trying to show us, whether it's something that we're holding to too tightly, or it's pride that we have in our hearts that's rooted itself in, or it's some sort of self-righteousness, or it's even an inability to em- empathize with a certain group of people or for whatever reason that person I'm not able to empathize and get myself there but that shows me something about me and so in every conflict we first ask the question what are you teaching me through this line number two is this Christ called us to be peacemakers and so we shouldn't engage in conflict It says in Matthew chapter five, as part of Jesus's longest sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, we have the Beatitudes, and he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And we often can misapply this understanding of this New Testament saying. We can say, well, you know, if we are to be called Christ followers, if if God are, if people are gonna look at us and see us as children of God, then we should not engage in conflict because that's really what peacemaking actually is. But there is a, a, a wide difference, a large difference between peacemaking and peacekeeping. Peacemaking and peacekeeping. Peacekeeping is based out of fear. We don't want to ruffle any feathers we don't want to rock the boat we don't want things to just stay status quo and so we're going to keep the peace and that's based out of fear our fear of confrontation or fear of conflict it's about keeping things that are in the dark in the dark and it's often about avoiding and ignoring conflict altogether that's peacekeeping, but peace making what god actually calls us to it actually is stemming from courage it's not based in fear it's based in courage and it's about walking through difficulty for greater unity that we walk through the conflict with a bigger picture in mind for that greater unity it's about bringing things into the light not keeping them hidden but bringing them into the light and it's about speaking truth in love that's what being a peacemaker actually is. And we forget that conflict is something that Jesus walked through again and again. Through much of his ministry was about walking through conflict. And he didn't accept the status quo. When he walked through his ministry, he actually upped tables where there needed to be tables to be turned. He actually went into situations and he says, what you are doing is not kingdom, in line with the kingdom. And so I'm gonna disrupt, I'm gonna agitate so that you can see what we're actually after, that peace that we're after is not about ignoring or avoiding, it's about entering into for a greater purpose. When we avoid conflict and appease people out of fear, we are false peacemakers. Ultimately, we are false peacemakers. Jesus shows us that true peace, the peace that he is actually calling us to, will never come by trying to pretend what's wrong is right. True peacemakers love God, They love others, and they love themselves enough to disrupt false peace when necessary. Nonetheless, having said all of that, unresolved conflicts still remain one of the greatest tensions in our lives. We don't know what to do with these difficult situations, these messy relationships. And so we hope that if we ignore them, avoid them, that they'll somehow go away. So lie number three, lie number three is that we are incapable of navigating conflict in a healthy way. We're incapable of navigating conflict in a healthy way. Many of us here, we might say, okay, this is good what you're saying, Tasha, I recognize that healthy relationships, they have conflict. I recognize that Christ has called me to be a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper but I don't have the skills. Like you don't understand what it's like when I am faced with conflicts. Like my palms get really sweaty. I lose all of my words. I don't know what to say. Sometimes my temper, I just go through the roof. I can't enter into conflict. You don't understand what it's like to be me. I cannot do conflict. But the thing is there are skills that we can learn that will enable us to handle and enter into conflict in a healthy way where we can actually fight clean. I think about when, um, when Adam was growing up, he played this game called Mud Men, and it's with him, made up game, and it's with him and his cousins and his sister, and the premise of the game is that they, would, they had a theme song and everything, which I would ask that you go ask him about the theme song. It's really great. It's just repeating Mud Men over and over again, but it's, it's very funny. Um, so the game was that they had territories, that they're trying to get each other's territory, and um, they all had roles to play. But at the end, they invariably ended up covered in mud because they start to, like, sling dirt and mud at each other. And so it became known as mud men. And that's often how we do conflict, right? We just pick up dirt and we just start throwing it at each other. And at the end, instead of reaching a greater level of unity in our relationship, instead of reaching a greater level of love for one another in our relationship, all we do is we end up covered in mud. We're just mud men. And so we wanted to look at a list of of ways in which we have maybe been modeled or taught how to fight but not fight in a clean way we fight dirty and so maybe you when you're looking at your own what's been modeled for you you can relate to some of these ways of fighting and i'm going to just throw this list up here and you could just check box next to those that um that apply to you how about these fighting dirty tactics silent treatment lecturing Blaming, attacking, condescension, name-calling, criticizing, sarcasm. Anyone feeling like this is them? (laughs) Anyone checking the box for everyone? You don't have to raise your hand. Complaining, denying, walking away, avoiding, shouting, using always or never, anger or rage, passive-aggressive behavior. I've done that one for sure. Uh, lying, hitting, violence, showing contempt, or gossip. Gossip is just talking to everyone else about the conflict except for the person who's actually involved in the conflict. This is a pretty comprehensive list. Somebody in the first service came up and was like, I did not like when you put that list up. That didn't make me feel good. I checked literally there was one I did not check. He's like, I felt very proud about that one. I get it. We've been, things have been modeled in our world, and our families of origin that are not healthy. And so we come away only learning how to fight dirty. But God calls us to actually enter into conflict in a healthy way, to fight clean, so that we come out in another level of unity and love. The Bible is full of examples of conflict. If you take conflict out of the Bible, you literally are left with like 10 pages. I mean, there is nothing left of the Bible. It's conflict after conflict. We've been in Proverbs, like I said, in this, in this series, and we know that the, the primary author of Proverbs is Solomon. Now Solomon had some redeeming qualities to him, but much like all of the characters in the Bible, redeeming with a dash of like really dysfunctional as well. And he actually came from a line of pretty dysfunctional family. David, who, David and Goliath, as you know, David who wrote most of the Psalms, David was his father. David also, many redeeming qualities, called the man after God's own heart. Incredible man, incredible leader. But David also avoided conflict like the plague in his family. And we can see the escalation of an avoided conflict in 2 Samuel chapter 13. If you remember this story, it's pretty, pretty disturbing. It's pretty um, shocking, actually. So David has, has a couple of kids. He has three, well, he has many kids. But he has his oldest son, his name is Amnon, and Amnon he rapes and he shames his half-sister Tamar. And so instead of dealing with this, instead of the just punishment it deserves, nothing is said. David is told about the conflict, he's told, or he's told about this uh, gross injustice, he's told about what has happened, but he does absolutely nothing. He does not confront the situation, he avoids the conflict. And so for two years, nothing happens in their family. Nobody says anything, nothing comes from this injustice that's happened to Tamar. And then Absalom, who is Tamar's full brother, opposed to um, Amnon, who was Tamar's half-brother, Absalom decides to take matters into his own hands. And so he takes him away, and he gets him drunk, and his servants end up murdering him. Pretty dysfunctional, right? All of us are saying our families are like the Brady Bunch now. But this conflict doesn't end there. Not only does it escalate from him avoiding talking to, from avoiding the uh, seeking and and bringing about justice in that situation, it it goes all the way to murder. And then from there, nobles become involved and family members become involved. And it is a full-blown civil war. All because of this injustice and the conflict that was avoided by David. Many of us, we can say, that we avoid conflict like the plague. But what happens often in these situations is they tend to escalate and escalate and escalate until they've taken over whole families, they've taken over whole friend groups, only if we were to enter into courage and become true peacemakers. So we have the three lies. The lies that, uh, that healthy relationships don't include conflict. The lie that Christ Um, has called us to be a peacemaker, and so we, we don't do conflict as a peacemaker. And this lie that we are incapable of navigating conflict in a healthy way. We actually are very capable of navigating conflict, but we need to know some skills, and that's what we're going to talk about next. How do we do this? How do we fight clean? And I have four tips for fighting clean. Remember, we're starting with the premise of seeking to understand. We're recognizing the skill of listening incarnationally. And then we're moving to how we fight clean. The first one is this, we don't fight in anger. It says in Proverbs, a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. I do not do well when I in, in conflict when I am incredibly mad, when I am fuming. I do not need to be having a conversation and navigating conflict, it, does nev- it never ends well. And so there's, there's wisdom in saying we do not enter a conflict, we do not walk into a conflict that needs to be resolved when, we, when our temper is high. It's like we tend to grossly misapply the scripture that says do not let your, your, uh, the sun go down on your anger. And so we have an argument at 4.30, 4.40, we're incredibly, oh no, I'm sorry, it's now 5.30. 5.30, we're moving. 5.30, then we, uh, high, tempers are high at 5.40, and the sun, um, sunset is scheduled for 5.42. And so we're like, we're pushing this that we gotta walk this through. But tempers are high, and nothing good comes from that situation. And so often what we need to do, instead of engaging in conflict at that time, is we need to take a time out. We need to allow ourselves times to recalibrate, to deescalate, to take a walk. I mean, it's pretty simple stuff, but how often do we still try and push the conflict forward when we're not in the right frame of mind to do it? Now, it doesn't mean to just avoid it completely. It doesn't mean we walk away and we never come back to it. Actually, I would suggest saying, hey, could, could we have 10 minutes? and we're gonna come back in 10 minutes. Or hey, can we, can we talk about this in about an hour? And we have a scheduled time to come back to the conflict. It's not that we're avoiding it, it's that we're allowing to deescalate, we're allowing the emotions to de-escalate so that we can actually have a conversation that yields productive results. And so we're careful not to fight in anger. Number two, when we fight clean, we need to choose our words wisely. It says in Proverbs, there is one who speaks rashly like the thrusts of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. When we speak quickly, when we speak out of turn, it often feels like we're just stabbing the other person. We're taking the knife into the other person. We're not using our words wisely. It's not only about name calling or things of that nature or using things like always and never, although those are really important but it's also about the words that we choose to say. Are they clear and are they on topic? Are they clear and are they on topic? Being clear in our speech means that we're self-aware, that we have awareness of what's actually bothering us, that we've done enough internal examination, that we've brought it before the Lord, that we've prayed about it, that we can recognize what the thing is beneath the thing, right, the idea that, that maybe the presenting problem Is not necessarily the problem that there's something deeper that is bothering us and so this takes self-awareness this takes self-examination for us to actually come to the other person in clarity and say this is what is bothering me and not only that but we use our words and we stay on topic did you guys see that um, snow squall yesterday that was pretty pretty awesome it was pretty cool we got a we were um, the kids played in it they were having a great time it was it was fun but as i was watching that snow squall i was like man this is often what conflicts are like i mean they're like come out of nowhere they're explosive and then and then not only that but it starts to pick up like all the other debris like our our yard looked a little crazy at the end of that because the winds were so intense it was picking up all types of debris pieces of trash and other things and and often that's what our conflicts are like we we, we start on one thing and then they quickly bring in all of this other stuff. And quickly our argument has escalated and we're no longer talking about one thing, but we're talking about an infinite number of things that have happened over the past decade. That is not fighting clean. I may, this may or may not be a true example of a time when I have done this, something like this. So I'm already in a state, right? And then someone comes home late and I say, I start off good. Man, when you were late, I feel undervalued. It's really good, stop right there, Tasha. But then you came home and you tracked mud in the house. Did you see that I cleaned the floors? i have been cleaning all day. You didn't say thank you for cleaning the house. And you never say thank you to me. I feel really underappreciated. And, and when you were on your phone, I was trying to tell you about my day. And are you listening to me? Do you even hear what I'm saying? And, and remember last week when you didn't take out the trash when I asked you to? And you're not even thinking about what I might need. And to top it all off, you ate the last snickerdoodle cookie. And I was really wanting that cookie. We can start to spin and we evolve other things and it's no longer about the thing. And that's not productive, that is not fighting clean. So we state the request clearly, respectfully, specifically. When you were late, I felt undervalued, stop about one thing, on topic, clear, no name calling. We use our words wisely. And then the next one, to fight clean, we watch our tone. It says in Proverbs 15, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Often we, te- we can use our body language and our tone to convey something we're trying to say that we're not saying, that we're not saying with our words. You've heard the whole ratio, about 20% of communication is actually what is said and about 80% is our body language and our tone and the way we deliver it. That, that is important for us to recognize as we're entering in and we're trying to fight clean. Elliot the other night, I had him, he needed to apologize for something and so he came into it, man, he was like holding onto a white knuckle fist. He didn't want to apologize, but he knew he had to. So he started to release it and he goes, I'm sorry. You know, lips clenched, teeth clenched. I'm like, that is not a sorry. That's not going to work. And often we've been part of those types of of, of conflict where our tone, we're saying one thing, but we sure are meaning another by the way that we're delivering it. And so when we fight clean, we watch our tone. We're clear in our words, and we don't do it when we're angry. And the last thing is this. When we fight clean, we seek wise counsel and mediation when necessary we seek wise counsel and mediation when necessary it says in Proverbs 13 through overconfidence comes nothing but strife but wisdom is with those who receive counsel we need to know when we are over our heads when we need help we don't let our pride get in the way but we actually we go to counsel or we go and ask for mediation it says in Matthew chapter 5 that, uh, that, there, that when we come to the altar to bring our gifts, when we're in worship, basically a worship service, and you remember that there is a brother or sister that you need to reconcile to, that you leave immediately, that you don't, you don't stick around for worship, you leave immediately so that you can be reconciled to your brother and sister. That's how seriously Scripture takes conflict. And not only that, it says in Matthew chapter 18 that if a brother or sister has sinned against you, you go to them and you let them know. You're clear in your communication, you fight clean. But then if they don't get it, you bring a couple of other people from the church, from your your body so that you can navigate the conflict together. There's mediation involved, there's steps involved. There are going to be situations where you will need to seek counsel and you will need to go for mediation that you've done all the other things. You've, you've made sure that you're not looking, you're believing the lies, you've, you have, uh, you've lived out this kind of idea of fighting clean, you've, you've really put it into practice, you've practiced it, and there are still gonna be times when we need to seek counsel or get mediation. So maybe seeking counsel is going to somebody that you respect and admire, somebody in your community group, a pastor, someone here um, in the church body. And you say, hey, I'm navigating this. This isn't gossip. This is you genuinely seeking restoration. I've done all of these steps. I don't know what to do next. Can you just give me some counsel? Or maybe mediation is needed. And so you invite someone else in. You know, I was in a conflict um, where she said, hey, Tasha, I don't think we're getting anywhere. Do you mind if I ask somebody to sit in on this? and at first my response my my human response my natural response was incredible defensiveness i'm like i can't believe she did that and then i took it one step farther as i brought it to the lord and i just was so incredibly touched that she took reconciliation so seriously that she took unity so seriously that she would go to the lengths to ask someone else to enter into this conflict that is what living out christian love looks like It says in romans chapter 12 do not repay anyone evil for evil be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone if it is possible as far as it depends on you live at peace with everyone if it is possible as far as it depends on you there are relationships in our lives that even after all of these steps even after all of these these places of fighting clean that they will not be able to be restored right now. And I say right now because I do believe in a God that can change hearts. I believe in a God who can reconcile. It just may not be right now. There's a couple of relationships in my life with my father is one of them where it cannot be reconciled right now. But we have to ask ourselves a couple of questions as we're navigating these relationships. One is, have we done everything we can as far as it is in our power to be at peace with all people? Have we walked through these fighting clean tactics? Have we gone back to the person and become a peacemaker that we've acted in courage, we've spoke clearly? Have we done these things? Have we sought to be reconciled? And then the second question we can ask is this, are we allowing any bitterness are we allowing any anger any unforgiveness to root itself in that relationship are we able to pray for that person that's a real big test for me and I'm not saying praying with like snarky sarcastic remarks in the back of your mind I'm saying like real authentic prayer for that person So we ask ourselves as we conduct our relationships, as we love people as Christ loved us, first we ask ourselves, have we sought to be reconciled? Have we practiced what we've talked about today? And then we ask the question, is there any bitterness that needs to be uprooted? Any unforgiveness that needs to be uprooted? Are we able to pray for that person? There's a Trappist monk by the name of William Menninger, and he is a contemporary, so you don't hear of many monks contemporary monks but he's a contemporary and he's dedicated his life to prayer and he has come up with this beautiful prayer called the compassion meditation prayer and it's intended to be prayed for those um, who we may need to forgive or have bitterness towards someone who we might consider an enemy someone who we are in conflict with it may even be someone from our past living or dead for whom forgiveness is still possible but it's long overdue And this prayer is intended to be prayed for that person in mind. And so I'm going to invite us to pray that prayer together as we prepare ourselves for communion. We're taking communion today. And communion is a beautiful chance for us to to come to the table together. It's kind of this pause on things. It's it's a a time to reevaluate what's going on in our hearts and our minds as we accept the gift, as we are reminded of the gift that Jesus has given for us. And so I'd love for us to first come with maybe a person in mind. Maybe right now there's a, there's a relationship that's pretty messy. And you're not really sure how to navigate it. Or maybe there's even, uh, it's, not, it's not just messy, it's just darn right contentious. Or there's anger in your heart towards someone. And so I'm going to invite us to pray this prayer with that person in mind together as we prepare our hearts for communion. We'll have it up on the screen. May you be happy, may you be free. May you be loving, may you be loved. May you know the fulfillment of what God has planned for you. May you experience God's deep, profound love for you. May Jesus Christ be formed in you. May you know his peace that passes all understanding. May all good things be yours. May Jesus' joy be in you and may that joy be complete. May you know the Lord and all his goodness and compassion. May you be protected from the evil one amidst every temptation that comes your way. May the Holy Spirit fill and permeate your entire being. of every sin I forgive you I will try to forgive you of every wound and hurt with all of my heart may God's goodness and mercy follow you all the days of your life Lord we commit these people into your care Lord we commit those that we've invented, envisioned Lord right now into your care God Father we pray that you would uproot any bitterness in us Lord that we would be people that embody your love, Lord, and we know from the cross that your love comes at a cost, a cost to yourself, Lord, and you've asked us to take up our cross and to follow you, and that is not easy, it is not always easy, there's a cost to us, and so, Lord, we just lay down our rights, we lay down ours very lives before you, Lord. We ask that you would embo- embolden us, give us courage, Lord, to be true peacemakers in our relationships, that we would not settle for what the world calls peace, Lord, that we would we would go after what you call peace, Lord, greater unity, Lord, and that involves doing the hard stuff. We know that. God, give us courage, Lord. Give us discipline in practicing these skills. that you've given us this table as a a symbolic reminder of what you have done for us. That when you gave us the elements of bread and wine, that you reminded us of your body that was broken for us and your blood that was shed for us. So God, as as we come to the table today, Lord, we remember your sacrifice. And God, we thank you so much, Lord. We thank you so much that it's never too late to know you love the example of of the thief on the cross. The very hour you were giving your life for us, Lord, for humanity. He was calling out, Lord, and you said, today you will be in paradise with me. Lord, we thank you, God, that it's never too late to come to the table. And so if that is any of us today, Lord, if that's you today here in this space and you're ready to turn your life to Jesus, I just invite you to give him old way of doing things. Give him the old way of doing things and turn to God who has invited you to the table. That table is open.